Pastor Xavier Reese says a life without serving is a life that's empty. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, as an arrow which falls short of the mark, as a fig tree which yields no fruit, as a candle which smokes but yields no light, as a cloud without rain and a well without water, so is a man who has not served the Lord. Can't live our Christian life like that, people. We just really can't. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How do you measure your commitment to the Lord? Maybe you volunteer as a Sunday school teacher or serve as a deacon. The simple truth is, being a part of a community of believers means as much about what we give as it does about what we receive. And today, Pastor Xavier brings up just the right example of a life totally sold out to God from his study in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Let's join him for today's message, Epaphroditus the Servant. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. Paul the Apostle has just reproved the Philippians for their lack of unity and humility after the example of Christ. It is in these verses, verses 25 to 30, that we see Epaphroditus as he is portrayed by Paul as a suffering servant. First, Epaphroditus was a committed servant in verse 25. Secondly, Epaphroditus was a caring servant, verse 26 to 28. And then thirdly, Epaphroditus was a commended servant, verse 29 and 30. The foundation is commitment. The apostle goes out of his way, notice, to point out that Epaphroditus was the very one to minister to his needs. Epaphroditus did not think it just a duty. He was committed out of his heart of love to meet the needs of Paul. His heart and soul was in the commission. His heart and soul was in his love for Paul. His heart and soul were in the work that God was doing in him and through him. Epaphroditus was a committed servant. But secondly, Paul says that Epaphroditus was a caring servant because you can be committed and not really caring. Verses 26 to 28 gives us this, and Paul is going to give us here the reasons why he was sending him back before Timothy, which depicts his caring nature here. Notice first in verse 26, Paul declares that Epaphroditus was missing the Philippians. Since he was longing for you all, Epaphroditus was longing for the Philippians. The word longing simply means to yearn or to greatly desire. Simply, he was homesick. But notice secondly that Paul declares Epaphroditus was concerned for their concern over his sickness. And here's where you see the relationship. They're worried about him, and now he's worried about them because they're worried about him. There's a mutual love triangle going on here. Very important. Notice thirdly in verse 27 that Paul declares that Epaphroditus came close to death. Paul stresses the severity of his condition by declaring, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. The word unto means nearly or almost. 
and is the only time that it's used in the New Testament, right here. The idea being he, he was at the door of entering eternity. Perhaps you've known someone who has been in the brink of death and they miraculously recover. It's a very stressful time. Paul had nearly given up hope. Notice Paul acknowledges God's mercy on both of them. The sovereignty of God was acknowledged by Paul first regarding Epaphroditus. The word but. Verse 27 there. For indeed he was sick almost to death, but God. Great little word. Remember Ephesians? We were dead in trespass and sin, but God. There's the key. There's the power. But. It's a sharp contrast between his nearness to death and his recovery to life. In other words, it was God's sovereign moving upon his life. The mercy of God intervening means compassion and pity. God does as he wills, when he wills, to whom he wills, wherever he wills, as often as he wills, because he's perfect in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and knows the end from the beginning. So we rest in his perfection in his righteousness when we do not understand. Notice Paul reveals to us some very important truths about sickness and divine healing. And this is important because today so many people are teaching completely wrong about healing and your faith. Paul certainly had the gift of healing. We would have to acknowledge that. He prayed for many and many were recovered. Paul admitted that God at times chooses to work apart from the vessel and not through the vessel right here. God could have used Paul. He didn't use him. God also shows us that it is not the will of God for all to be healed right away or at all sometimes, every time. Sometimes God says, you know what? We're going to let this run its course. Sometimes God says, I'm going to take you home this way. He knows. Paul, at the same time, knew that it did not ultimately rest on his faith to believe as a mark of his spirituality, as so many today teach through the faith doctrine, the seed faith, and the positive confession movement. And if you're not healed, then they lay the trip on you that you don't have enough faith that you're in sin. Paul didn't get down on Epaphroditus. It's a condemning doctrine. It's not of God. Paul left Trifemus sick at one point. God didn't use him to heal him. Paul was sick often. That's why he carried Luke around with him. <laughs> Paul teaches us that he did not control the gift of healing in his life, but God did. Hebrews 2.4 confirms that. God is the one who uses the gift when he wants to. As I said, he mentions that he left Trifemus sick at Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Now, some of these teachers today, arrogant as they are, have concluded that Paul didn't have enough faith. How interesting. But there's one more thing he acknowledges here. He acknowledges that sickness is a part of life in this fallen world without it being related to sin, lack of faith, or even chastening of the Lord. But it could be. Sometimes God does use sickness to chasten us. He tells us to Corinthians. Sometimes it could be my lack of faith. I'm not really trusting God. 
but it certainly shouldn't be the focus that way. So I should examine if I'm, I'm not right, I get right with God, ask him to heal me. But bottom line is, he's the one that does it. Very important. Now, notice thirdly in verse 28. Paul declares that Epaphroditus was a source of comfort. He would relieve the Philippians' concern over his sickness by his presence. His very arrival would just relieve that. This was Paul's concluding decision more eagerly, the evidence being that Paul was also himself a servant after the order of Christ, thinking of others before himself. He's thinking of the Philippians. He's thinking of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is thinking of Paul. That's why he's there. And Epaphroditus now is worried thinking of the Philippians. How interesting. He would gladly do without Epaphroditus in prison, knowing that they would be relieved to see him again well knowing that he would be alone, perhaps. He's not at the Marriott. He's in prison. Well knowing that he himself would miss Epaphroditus in their daily ritual. He would look across the prison cell where Epaphroditus sat, took notes, conversed with him. He wouldn't be there. Why? Because he was as his master. You see, he was concerned with the joy of the Philippians. They would rejoice at seeing Epaphroditus as we have noted, and he would be less sorrowful knowing that they were relieved by rejoicing in Epaphroditus and he also in seeing this fulfilled. So his comfort, his less sorrow multiplied would be that Epaphroditus would no longer be homesick, the Philippians would no longer be missing him. But Paul, how about you? What about me? Oh, that's good. What about me? He's not even in the picture. This is the epistle that's known as the epistle of joy. Why? Because Christ is his mind. Christ is his life. Christ is his goal. Christ is his strength. The bond that tied Epaphroditus and Paul was that Christ-like service to others in the body of Jesus Christ. The motive being God's agape love. One put it this way, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, a hand through which Christ helps. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, as an arrow which falls short of the mark, as a fig tree which yields no fruit, as a candle which smokes but yields no light, as a cloud without rain and a well without water, so is a man who has not served the Lord. He has led a wasted life, a life to which the flower and glory of existence is lacking. Call it not life at all, but write it down as animated death. Ooh. If we are going to be carrying servants like Epaphroditus, we must cultivate a relationship in the body. Don't settle for fast spiritual food, driving in and driving out. Hang out a while. <laughs> get to know people. Find out what's going on here. How can you get involved? Be aware of others' needs and their hurts. Before you even come here, be prayed up and say, Lord, use me today as I go. If there's something I can do, if I can meet someone's need, you show me. Instead of saying, well, I got to get over there. I, I, I need to hear the voice of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're the focus, then you're the focus. 
and no one else has seen. We're used to um, Jack in the Box, In and Out, and Burger King. We can't live our Christian life like that, people. We just really can't. Be a source of comfort to others. Sometimes all it may take is just a hug. Sometimes a little help just to relieve the stress. A little break. That's all. Epaphroditus was a caring servant. Not naturally, but supernaturally, by God's Spirit. But still, Paul can't say enough about this man, so he finishes up in verse 29 and 30. Epaphroditus was a commended servant. Notice first, Paul told them that they were to receive him. They were to be not as those who would have reservations about Epaphroditus, as if he had failed on his mission. You see, the apostle knew the Philippians. They had a problem. He's already mentioned it. We've talked about it. Unity. Not esteeming others better than themselves. And so Paul knew that there would be some, as they would see Epaphroditus come, they would be like this. Oh, did real well, huh, Epaphroditus? Great representative of ours. Bombed out. See, Paul knew people. <laughs> he was a realist. And so he says, you receive him. The word receive means to receive one favorably, positively. The word also means to look for one by waiting for them, which means anticipation, longing. It is used of Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, in Luke 2.25. It is used of Jesus receiving sinners in Luke 15.2. It is used of looking for the blessed hope, Jesus Christ, in Titus 2.13, with anticipation. The manner is expressed by the term with all gladness, expressing the fulfillment of their longing and expectation, reinforcing the idea of having no reservation about him or his mission. It's so refreshing when you hear somebody talk positive about a person. It seems that always we find fault. He's a great guy, but <laughs> it's in our sin nature. But notice, secondly, still in 29, that Paul told him that they were to hold such men in esteem. The Apostle Paul is not telling the Philippians to worship Epaphroditus. Never worship any person in the body of Christ, especially a pastor. Honor him, pray for him, respect him. He's a man as you. The Apostle is telling the Philippians to honor such men, recognizing their value to the body and the work of Christ. Nothing wrong with that. I thank God for the many godly men that God has raised up, men who have influenced my life. The word esteem means to honor, prize, or to be precious. The very word is used of honorable men in Luke 14, 8, and is used of Jesus Christ, that precious, that's how it's translated, precious stone in 1 Peter 2, 4. The Proverbs says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips, Proverbs 27, 2. Now the esteem is in what Christ has done in them and through them, not self-esteem. We've allowed self-esteem to destroy our educational system 
And we've allowed self-esteem in many of our churches to also affect our theology. The concept, you've got to love yourself before you can love others. Sounds good. The only problem is, once you start with you, you're never done. <laughs> There's not enough for anybody else. And you become the focus of your life. Therefore, you become the problem of your life. Men who are examples of Christ, not considering themselves before others, men of reputation, listen, based on character, who you are, not what you think you are, not what people think you are, not what the populace appears to believe you are. Your popularity is only genuine if your character is genuine. If your character is not in accord with your reputation, then your reputation is false. Character is who you are, not in public, but in private. That's character. Notice thirdly, Paul told them in verse 30, the reason why they were to do this. First, because for the work of Christ, Epaphroditus came close to death. Close to death, not for his own service or in his own service, but as a bondservant like his Lord in benefit to Paul. So he fits chapter 2, verse 7, after his master. Close to death, put him in the same league as his Lord and master, who became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Chapter 2, verse 8. There's a parallel here. But secondly, because he did not regard his life. Don't miss this. The word regarding is a gambling word. To stake everything at the turn of a dice, and it's only found here once in the New Testament. The word is used of people who risk their lives by caring for sick during pestilences. It comes from the word parabolos, venturesome, reckless. As in Alexandria, there grew up an association of men known as the parabolomni. Among the hazards, duties that they perform, they were called the suicide squad. These people chance visiting the ill and the contagious in prison, risking their own lives. This is the word that's being used here. With no concern for self, total abandonment, the third reason is because he did it in order to supply what was lacking in the Philippian service towards Paul's needs. The word supply means to fill up to the capacity. The word is used to fulfill prophecy in Matthew 13, 14, and the word is used to describe the filling up of man's sins according to their sin nature in 1 Thessalonians 2, 16. The idea being that what the money, the money that was sent by the Philippians was not enough for Paul's needs. And I don't think it was that it wasn't enough monetarily. It's just that money is not all we need. You understand? Especially in our generation, we think that we can solve everything through money. Right? The government says, more taxes will solve everything. Throw more money into the educational thing. Now we have smarter uh, fools. There are some things that money just cannot do. Money is all right, but then there has to be the practice that comes alongside. 
The apostle needed practical help, not just money, though he was most appreciative of the gift, as he tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, 17, and 18. The apostle needed other members of the body to edify him and to complement his gifts. The apostle needed fellowship like any other person. You see, money's okay. And then there may be a practical place where that is needed. Because Jesus says, don't just say to a uh, man be warm and filled. Or James says that. Sometimes we, we need to be practical. But we have to be careful lest we think that money is the solution to everything. It isn't. Money's a big problem. But money in the proper perspective and in the right means can do a lot. But it's only part of the solution. I think parenthood is the best illustration for commended service. And it usually doesn't come until our children are grown up and parents themselves. And then you will be commended. But a parent doesn't do what he or she does to be commended. They do what they do out of love. And because they do it out of love, they're not looking for commendation. But it comes. If we are faithful parents to serve our children, you will never regret it. It is the greatest investment that you will make in your life apart from your relationship with Jesus Christ and your mate, your children. If we expect to be commended servants like Epaphroditus, then we need to be faithful in the Lord's work that he calls us to. What has God called you to do? There was this gentleman that felt called to pick up all the cigarette butts at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa's parking lot. And Pastor Chuck makes mention of times as he would come in to work and he would see him out there with his little thing, picking him up and everything else. That's what he wanted to do. Wasn't concerned about credit, wasn't concerned about anything else. That's, he knew that's what God called him to do. He did it. What has God called you to do in the body of Jesus Christ? Do it. Do it with all your heart. Do it faithfully. Take some risks. Quit playing it so safe all the time spiritually. <laughs> we get real conservative after a while. Everything's going well. I want to take a venture of faith as God leads me, not just flippantly, not just carnally. But I have to be careful that I don't just play safe all the time. That God is stretching me. Very important. Epaphroditus was a commended servant. Spurgeon said to his congregation, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat, drink, and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can go do it. There are empty pews about in abundance. Go and fill them. Heavy. As your pastor, I love to see you active. I love to see you involved. I love to see you be used of God. You know why? It's the best thing for you. It's the best thing for you in the world. Epaphrodite is a suffering servant. He was a committed servant, a caring servant, a commended servant. Those are good characteristics. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the cost and joy of serving, an example of true, fulfilling ministry. And today's message, Epaphroditus the Servant, is available on CD for only $4. We'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last movie together, too. Once again, the title to ask for is Epaphroditus the Servant, or simply mention today's date. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure to include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Man's or God's righteousness. That's our discussion right here next time when Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more simple truths from God's Word. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.